Welcome to Wannabe Clutter Free, formerly Wannabe Minimalist, the podcast for busy families who are tired of the chaos, fed up with being overwhelmed, and ready to enjoy life again. Each week, we talk about how to let go of the clutter so that you can focus on the things that actually matter. And it's not just physical clutter. We talk about the mental and emotional stuff too, because if it's holding you back, it's time to ditch it. I share what I've done in my own life to declutter, organize, and calm the chaos, but you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's practical, doable, and simple for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Do you wish you could find an educational podcast that your kids actually want to listen to and you enjoy too? Well, you're in luck. Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as math, is a weekly show full of time travel, puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. We listened to a few episodes, and not only did our daughter want to listen to more next time we're in the car, I found myself chuckling too. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. You're transported to moments in ancient history like Pythagoras' ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. Plus, they do a great job of teaching math theory without it being boring, complicated, or overly childish. And that can't be easy, but it's not really a surprise considering Mysteries About True Histories is from the creators of the hit podcast Who Smarted, Brain Games on Nat Geo and Disney+, and Brainchild on Netflix. Episodes drop every Thursday, and since they are about 15 minutes, they are the perfect length for kids ages 6 and up. Turn your next car ride, break time, or bedtime into math time with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. You're listening to The Wannabe Minimalist Show with Deanna Yates, episode number 95. On today's episode, I'm chatting with Michael Bartz, tiny home advocate who is on a mission to helping the environment. We talk about his journey toward minimalism, decluttering from a traditional home down to a tiny home, and how this adventure had him looking at saving the world in a new light. It is an interesting conversation, and he definitely opened my eyes up, so I hope you enjoy it too. Hey there, my wannabe minimalist friend. Welcome back to the show. I'm thrilled you're here with me, and I am so excited to be bringing guests back on the show. I am always inspired by learning from others, and every time I speak with a guest, it encourages me more on my journey, so I hope they work the same for you. When I talk to people about minimalism and decluttering, the subject of the environment often comes up. After all, living with less does decrease your consumer tendencies, and it lowers your carbon footprint that we all hear so much about these days. I will admit, though, that I am no expert when it comes to green living, and that's why I was excited to have Michael come on the show today. Michael is the producer and host of the In Over My Head podcast, and he follows his journey to lower his environmental footprint by building a 175-square-foot off-grid tiny home. He felt overwhelmed by trying to save the planet, quote-unquote, and wasn't sure if all his downsizing and minimizing was really making a difference, so he decided to bring in the experts. Each season, he's tackling a different aspect of the environment, and it's just a really interesting concept. Michael and his partner, Sarah, live in their tiny home on a farm in southern Alberta, where he, when he's not podcasting, he can be found pursuing his creative endeavors of acting and writing or being active in hiking in the Rockies. The information Michael presents is different than the cookie cutter information we all hear all the time, and you'll hear me struggle with it a little bit, but that's why I love having guests on this show. 
It's a wonderful way to grow and learn. I really enjoyed this conversation and I should have kept recording as we had a hard time ending our conversation and talked a little bit longer after I hit the stop button. So maybe I'll have to have Michael back again and we can dive a little bit deeper. So give it a listen and let me know what you think by heading over to wannabeclutterfree.com slash 95 and you can get the show notes there for today's episode with links to Michael's website and podcast. And again, you can find it all at wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 95. And there you can also find my email if you want to reach out to me and tell me what you thought. Okay, now let's get to our conversation. Well, hi, Michael. Welcome to the Wannabe Minimalist Show. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me, Deanna. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. So this is super fun because I have to be honest, you are the first male I have had on the podcast. This is great. So I actually didn't tell you that beforehand, but (laughs) you're you're the first one. So this will be really fun. So we are connecting today on more of a kind of a different aspect. I've been doing a lot of um, things with money lately or, you know, furniture and decluttering those kinds of things. And obviously we will talk about that today, but we are going to do a lot more toward tiny living and in the environment. And I'm really excited to talk about this because I haven't actually talked too much about this on my show. So why don't we start with you telling us, um, you know, telling me a little bit about yourself and what led you to this tiny living world? For sure. Yeah. So I'm Michael. I live in Canada and I'm an actor by trade. And I also do a podcast, the In Over My Head podcast. And I also write and make films and things like that. And in 2017, I decided to build my own off-grid tiny house. And at that time, I was in my late 20s. And I had just come out of an eight-year relationship. And I was single. And I was kind of looking at, okay, what does life look like for me as a single person? And I thought about it a lot. And things that came out for me was like, all right, maybe I want to go back to school. Um, maybe I want to travel. Um, also, buying a house, I guess, is something I should probably do in my late twenties. You know, be a responsible person. And I was thinking about all those things, and and somehow that idea of of tiny living came up in a tiny house. And to me, it kind of brought all of of my ideas together. In that I could, with since I'm building it, you know, kind of go back to school in a way. And then I'm, I have this project. I'm learning. I'm growing. Um, and then also I could travel with it because it's going to be on wheels, so I don't have to necessarily stay in one place because I didn't know what my life was going to look like. And then, of course, that idea of buying a house that on a foundation, a regular house, like, hey, now I'm kind of stuck there and into a mortgage. And I didn't want to just, I know you've done a lot of traveling and traveling is great, but traveling extensively and then coming back and just having nothing. And so the idea of having a home to come back to really, really resonated with me. But this way I could bring it with me. So it really was the best of, of all worlds. I love that. Okay. So I love the fact that you took a big life change and you turned it into something positive. Um, Absolutely. And those questions, right? I mean, especially in, in the twenties, right? When you're in your twenties, life is, you're still kind of figuring things out. And, and I do think that was such a smart move to, and how lucky are we now that this is a movement that has gained steam that has gained popularity it gives people the freedom i think to think outside the box and to do something that's a little different so you know i don't think tiny houses weren't really a big thing when i was in my late 20s (laughs) (laughs) um but no it's awesome we did an rv trip granted it was with my parents over the summer so that's a total different ball game um 
But yes, we traveled a lot. And in our way of doing kind of this, you know, not buying the the stuck house was that travel, right? I mean, we would do mm -hmm. a month at a time in a different country and it was a lot of fun, but you're right. We didn't have anything to come back to. Um, and so, yeah, anyway, I think that's super awesome. How big is yeah. your tiny house? It's uh, 175 square feet. So Ooh, yeah, that's pretty tiny. A, that's a tiny, tiny house. Yeah, that's 24 feet long, eight, eight and a half on the outside. Okay, and long, is so. it still just you there? Uh, it's me and my, my partner, Sarah, and, and our cats. So awesome. Yeah, How many quite cats? A few. Uh, we have we have three cats actually. Wow. Yeah, yeah. but actually, awesome. a tiny house is quite conducive to cats because there's lots of different spaces and different levels, right? They With love the stairs and other things, right? And they yeah, yeah. A dog, the ones anyway. Not so much, but yeah, the cats do. They do okay. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So, you said it was kind of that freedom that led you to the tiny house, and also having something to call your own, something to come back to. But you also, I know you talk a lot about the environment and is that something that led you to tiny living and how has that, you know, how has that shaped how you're living now? Yeah, absolutely. That was definitely a, an aspect of, of living tiny that, that appealed to me, right? Because as a, a person who is environmentally conscious, I think about what sort of impact does my life have on the environment and how can I lower my environmental footprint and the house you live in is really such a big part of that and the things you fill it with and such so definitely moving into a tiny house was a big part of that and also because I built it myself being able to say I want it to be off grid so what does that look like whereas if I had a, a traditional house in a city there's a, a lot more that is involved with that as far as adding solar panels or, or geothermal or something so with it being such a, a small house I'm able to power it a lot more easily with solar as opposed to a 2000 square foot house for that. So yeah, definitely that was a consideration was the environment. Fantastic. Okay. We'll jump into that a little bit more, but I want to go quickly. You were just said like you built it yourself. Well, how in the world did you, first off, what made you think like I can do this? Cause I think that in and of itself is a big thing. And then how did you get started? Yeah, no, for sure. It's it's I, like we talked about tiny houses, even in 2017, weren't like a brand new idea. It was it was new, but there were still people doing it. So that really helped in in my inspiration and, and my ability to do it because I grew up building things. I was always pretty handy. I after art school, I framed houses for a while to pay off my student loans. And um, like so I, I knew how to build things, but I obviously like I'd never tackled such a big project as far as the plumbing and the electrical and the the siding and the windows and everything that goes into a house. And it's even that much more complicated with a tiny house, because as you've seen in lots of the, the probably photos on Instagram and things, you just, you have to get so creative with the space. You have to put you know, um, drawers in your stairs and everything has to be storage and, and you have to obviously get rid of a lot of things. So in designing that space, it was an extra challenge. So for me, it was a lot of self-learning and lots of you know, those YouTube videos of other people who had done it, who had have been there already. I went to um, actually in Colorado, the National Tiny House Jamboree in 2016. I went down there and it was a convention of tiny houses. So I got to meet people who were doing it and, and see tiny houses. That was actually a really big thing is it's one thing to see them online, but to actually be in them and, and see, okay, well, how does this actually feel? Because you, know, you talked about traveling in an RV, like my parents have a, a 24 foot motorhome and it feels way smaller because it's just, it's just the ceiling is maybe six, six and a half feet tall, whereas I've got 10 feet on, on, in my tiny house. So how that feels, that big open space really impacts 
just your quality of life and 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 how you enjoy the space so as far as building it like yeah it took me four years so it was <laughs> a lot of a lot of starting and stopping and figuring it out and how does this work and and learning so and it was thousands of hours so it was a it was an accomplishment for sure absolutely okay there's two uh, there's two more things i want to talk about in there okay. first off how did you just what what was it that kept you going? I mean, four years, that's a long time. And I think I talk a lot about that with people in their homes. Like I try to say, like, you have to create this vision and that vision has to be really powerful to power through kind of all of that. I mean, it's hard to declutter. It's hard to get your house to where you want to be. And I can imagine that is like tantamount to when you are doing a tiny house or this giant project you have in front of you. How did you keep the, you know, how did you just keep doing it day after day? Yeah, it's um, part of it was my partner, Sarah, who I met early on in the build. She was very, very encouraging because, yeah, I thought it would take me maybe a year. I'm like, yeah, I could do this in a year. And after a year, I was nowhere near being done. The framing was done, like some of the inside, but it was, it was so much. And part of that was because I chose to build everything myself. Like mm -hmm. I built the staircase. I built the reclaimed oak countertop. I built the hinges on the door. Like there's so many little things that you not necessarily everyone does when they're building a tiny house. So there were times absolutely when I felt like I should quit and I should stop and this is crazy and stupid and it's just too much work. And that was, that was probably maybe year one. And then eventually I just, I just kept at it. And it was just, it was just every day, just choosing to prioritize that project and, and, and just do a little bit at a time. Right. And probably the same with, yeah. with, you know, decluttering your house. You can't just do it all on a weekend. Like it just takes time and you have to just take it in small chunks. So I'm focusing on, the framing this this and this portion and then the next part is the electrical and, and that's actually something that's nice about the house I guess in that project is that I can't do the siding at the beginning I have to do it at the end I have to you know there's certain steps so that kind of helped in my progress but it was a lot of a lot of mental work as well just to be motivated to keep doing it and especially because I didn't know what I was doing right it's like if I had done it a thousand times like oh yeah I got this but it was a brand new thing and I think it really comes back to that shift in my life when I suddenly was single and I had to decide what I wanted to do. Like it was such a, a profound change and my life shifted in such a big way that this is what I wanted to do. And I decided to complete that project and I, nothing was going to stop me in the end, even though in my back of my mind, I thought, uh, like, I can't do this. In, I never really wanted to quit like, like for sure. So that's, that's what kept me going. Awesome. Okay. So, and then you also said the next thing I was going to ask was the fact that you and your partner live there. And I didn't know if you had lived in the tiny house by yourself at first, or if you had always lived there together. So it sounds like maybe you had always lived there together once you finished it. Cause I was going to ask, how did you then take your, just your house, which is, you know, in the tiny house, probably just all your stuff and then bring another person into that. I think would have been really interesting, but you guys kind of lived there together. Yeah. The so, time. yeah. So I, we met early on in the build. So um, yeah, we, we lived together in a, in a regular house. Maybe it was like it's 800 square feet, um, but it was definitely a, a challenge to downsize even together in yeah. that smallest space, right? Like certain things, it was pretty easy, even in the kitchen, say like it was easier to get rid of some items and not others. But I think I know for my partner, Sarah, getting rid of her plants, like she had a whole bunch mm -hmm. of plants that you know she loves and they but they take up lots of space and it's like okay now we have to really prioritize which plant she had this big monster that she loved that she had to unfortunately 
but she she had to give it away but she gave it to our friends we've got two sets of friends who also love plants it's like you guys can just take care of these these things nice. so it was yeah definitely a, a transition but I think it made it easier that we did it together mm-hmm. and, and in some ways actually I would have liked to have built a house with her and actually designed it with her because right. she she I met her when I had already started and it's like and I couldn't really change the house drastically and and even now like when I started building it in 2017 I imagined okay you have your house where you live but you go to the gym and then you go to your office and you don't need all those things in your house and then of course you know 2020 that's everything changed right and (laughs) and now we both work in our living room slash guest bedroom slash office you know in the tiny house so that that's uh, that was an interesting journey as well suddenly our house got that much smaller but but I was actually surprised even in 175 square feet, essentially a closet for some people, how easy it was to adapt where we thought we never thought, oh, we're gonna have our office in our house, of course. No, but we made it work. And so it's really about that adaptability. Yeah, interesting. Okay. So what has been one of your least favorite things about living in a tiny house? You know how life doesn't stick to a schedule? Well, why should your paycheck? That's where earn in comes in. It's an app that lets you access the money you've earned right when you need it, not just on payday. Imagine this, your dog suddenly needs a vet or your kid has a little accident and needs a dentist, ASAP. We've been there and waiting for your payday in those situations just doesn't make sense and it adds unnecessary stress. With EarnIn, you can pull up to $100 per day or up to $750 each pay period directly from your earnings without the crazy fees or interest rates. It's super simple. Download the EarnIn app, verify your paycheck, and get access to your earnings as you earn them. You decide what to tip, and whatever you use gets settled on your next payday. More than 3.5 million users are finding relief and a sense of security with EarnIn, calling it a lifeline for financial stability. That peace of mind, it's priceless, and it could be yours. Ready to give it a try? Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Clutter under Podcast when you sign up. It'll really help out the show. That's Clutter under Podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. This podcast is supported by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. We've been using Active Skin Repair for a few months now, and I am seriously impressed. They use a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which is pretty much a superhero in skincare. It mimics your body's own immune response, helping to cleanse, soothe, and reduce inflammation to support the natural healing process. And let me tell you, it works for more than just scraped knees. Whether it's sunburns, rashes, or even more persistent issues like eczema or acne, Active Skin Repair has got you covered. The best part? It's totally safe and non-toxic. That means it's gentle enough for every skin type, from the little ones to grandma and everyone in between, making it the go-to for everyone in the family. I scraped my knuckle the other day while doing laundry, and my first thought was to grab the Active Skin Repair because one, it doesn't sting like other products, and two, I knew it would help me heal faster. So if you're looking for a natural, effective way to handle boo-boos, check out Active Skin Repair. And because you're a listener, you can get 20% off your order. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair. And to get 20% off your order, use code CLUTTERFREE. 
Again, that's ActiveSkinRepair.com and use code CLUTTERFREE to get 20% off your order. Yeah, I think for where we are, when I thought about that question, it was short showers. Like mm. We have to have very, very short showers because we are off-grid. So we've got a 72-gallon um, freshwater tank that, that I haul water and fill. So it's like the shortest showers possible. Yeah. But that's really more about being off-grid and not every tiny house is off-grid. So I, I honestly, I can't think of anything that's my, my least favorite thing, actually. I think because I built it myself, I designed it, I, you know, it's, I put thousands of hours and, and love and patience into this project. It's like a child. It's like I can't like not love this child. And so we just, we just adapt and, and, and work with it. And I guess, you know, there are limitations, obviously, with space. One thing I think about is we like to, you know, in the before times, host people, travelers, oftentimes through, through couch surfing. We love, loved hosting people. And so I, I purposely planned the, as I said, the um, living room, office slash guest room. The, it, we've got a couch, which I'm sitting on right now, and it actually converts into a queen-size guest bed so we can host people. So we, we might host people for a night or two, right? People are traveling through, but I couldn't imagine, like my partner Sarah's from Spain and her parents were looking mm. at maybe coming over at some point and visiting like for two or three weeks. It just, we just couldn't do it. It's like, I, we can't be you know, putting the bed apart right. and, and again for weeks. So it, there are limitations that way, but in some ways I see that as an advantage because it's like, oh, sorry, we in-laws, we can't, can't host you and have to get a hotel, but it's all good. Yeah, no, that's awesome. All right. I'm going to circle back in a minute to the water, but what would you say to people, or I'm sure people tell you all the time, they find out that you live in a tiny house and they go, oh, that's amazing, but I could never live in a tiny house. What, what's your normal response to that? Yeah, I, I see that as kind of two different types of people. I think there are people who say, I could never do it, but they want to. And to those people, I would say, yes, you can, you know, you just haven't tried hard enough, you know, like if, give it a try. Like I guess I'm not a, a, a special person by any means. I'm a normal person. And so if I can do it, you can do it too. Um, uh, then there's probably the, the other type of person who says I could never do it and I don't want to. And you know what? That's okay too, right? As even being a minimalist, right? You can be a minimalist in a regular house. You can be a minimalist with two dogs and three kids and a cat and all sorts of things. So you don't necessarily have to live in 175 square feet to be a real minimalist. So I would say to those people, keep living your life and come visit. <laughs> Maybe I'll change your mind. Right? I love it. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. I, I hear it all the time my, myself. So um, I could never have a capsule wardrobe or I could never sure. declutter all my stuff or, you know, it happens, but I think you're right. I do think there are the two people I, I've never really heard it put that way, but I think you're totally hmm. right. Yes. They, they do secretly want to do it and they're just afraid afraid of what would happen, afraid if they let go of the stuff, afraid of, you know, they couldn't change back. Like, I do think change is really hard because mm -hmm. you think, but what if I prefer what I have now versus what I'm changing to? But to what I say to that is like, it's all, I mean, life is constantly changing. You can't stop it mm -hmm. from changing and mm -hmm. you can always make another change. You know, you could change back, go a little bit, keep the things you like, you know, and get rid of the things you don't. So yeah, people, yeah, people think that. like it's this big, huge permanent change but really we could just sell the house and move into a regular house it's not it's not nothing is permanent you're right and and one thing i love about tiny houses is that one size doesn't fit all and that's great you know there are people who have for two dogs and three kids and the cats in a tiny house it's a bigger tiny house and that's actually where the trend is going right now to yeah. 
triple axles to to bigger tiny houses because yeah there's just people who want to do it but they can't live in in you know, 100 square feet it's just not feasible but they still want to maybe reduce their their clutter or their environmental footprint and how do you do that while still maintaining your quality of life so yeah there there is definitely that room for, of for flexibility and even in tiny living yeah all right i want to step back now into environmental friendliness because mm-hmm. i know that's a big um big thing and that's a lot of what your podcast is about is about how can we can live better with the environment and so one thing that i have been trying to do it not successfully um so i would love your tips on it you i was going back to the water so we'll get mm-hmm. to that in maybe in a minute or i don't know we can talk about it now or if you have any big tips but so you have 72 a 72 ga- gallon tank yes mm-hmm. how often do you fill that up it lasts about a week sometimes week and a half yeah so that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've short showers. Figure out how, okay, short showers. <laughs> we don't take long showers. We have no. a tiny shower. Although I do have a, a kiddo and she likes baths. She doesn't like showers sure. yet. And that is a problem. Yeah. It's a big problem. But I don't bathe her every day. So that's kind of my. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, you only take baths twice a week. So yeah. we're not to that point yet where you have to bathe every day. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some other ways you have? Well, actually, let me ask you this one first, and then we'll get into maybe more tips that might work for the rest of us. What is the craziest way you've tried to lower your carbon footprint? Yeah, so obviously, like living in 175 square feet off grid is is already crazy enough. Yeah. I think of kind of there's other elements of of environmentalism. Um, two things that come to mind are transportation and how we get around. And kind of a crazy thing we did last summer is that um, we uh, did a holiday trip to Fernie, BC, we're in Alberta, which is about a 300 mile round trip. And instead of driving, we decided to take our bicycles. So we biked for about five, six days in total from yeah, Alberta to, to British Columbia. And uh, yeah, that was really interesting. And in that way, we wanted to again, lower our, our environmental footprint of, of traveling. But it, it like, I, I, and I've done bike trips before. So it's not, that wasn't our first time doing it. Sarah's it was, but I find traveling by bicycle, like it's just such a more enriching experience. We stop places we normally wouldn't have. We saw things we wouldn't have seen. You're getting exercise. You can eat whatever you want because you're just burning so many calories. And so it just like shifting that mindset of, of like, how do we travel? How do we get around? And yeah, we, we can do a 300 mile trip on by a bicycle, right? Like, yeah, that would have taken a day or two to drive, but it was just such a fun time. And we, and we definitely want to do it again. So that's probably one of the the crazier things I've done recently to lower my footprint. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. But you have, you actually, you kind of have inspired me of like, what could we do just even around town? Because, sure. you know, I have an eight-year-old. We're not taking a 300 mile bike ride, right? I mean, no. there are considerations in life, but could we, instead of hopping in the car, I mean, I live in Southern California. Sure. Nothing is close. That part sucks yeah. about here. Yeah. I mean, there are lots of benefits to here. Public transportation the ability to ride your bike, not necessarily one of them, but is there some place we could go? Like, could we ride our bikes to the beach or could we ride our bikes to go get ice cream instead? You know? Yeah. Are there ways we could work that into our daily life? Absolutely. Yeah. And especially having kids like making it an adventure too, right? Like other than just a a chore or a task. Yeah. Or an adult, you can make it an adventure as an adult. Everything can be an adventure, even if you're older like me. (laughs) Maybe we get back into some things that people can do. Like if, so someone like me, I need to cut down on our water. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I feel like we are pretty conscient, 
conscientious about our water, but Mm -hmm. looking at my last water bills, I can't even think what it was at the last time, but I was just, I felt like a really bad human being when I looked at the water bill and I was like, how are we using this much water every day? So for someone like me, that's living in a house that I'm not like, what are some good ways for us to start lowering our, you know, carbon footprint, being more environmentally friendly, being better, you know, stewards of our environment and our resources. Yeah, I think it's definitely a complicated issue. And that's, that was the reason for doing my show. It's called In Over My Head, because that's how I felt when I want to save the planet. But I don't know if any yeah. of this stuff even is effective. So um, yeah, and like that water example, you know, the, the, the reason that we let have 72 gallons last a week or sometimes two weeks is because we just have to, like it really forces us like, cause I have to fill the water physically I have to like take a tank and go fill it up and it, it makes it an extra step. And it's not always easy. Sometimes it's a real pain, but it, it just really makes you very conscious of how much water you're using. And in a regular house that most of, of your listeners probably live in, that's just not a consideration at all. Right. And, and that's something I really find fascinating and thinking about that question. Um, I could tell you to, you know, turn down your thermostat or maybe bring your reusable mug to the coffee shop and that would make a difference, but that's nothing new. And, and actually, I don't think that's the right area to focus on. Cause like you said, you feel like a bad human being when you're, you're using water. It's like, like, that's not, it doesn't seem very healthy to me. So right. we're actually thinking about this question. I thought about two things that are simple things you could do that you may not normally hear. And, and I think actually are going to have a bigger impact. And that's really based on the conversations I've been having with, with my guests. And so forget about turning off your lights and, and all these, these small things that you have to keep up with day to day. So my first advice would be to actually get curious about climate change. Mm. And by that, I mean, like, stop tuning out the news, stop thinking that this is a horrible thing that's just out of my control, get curious about it, and start to think about, okay, how do how does climate change affect me and my community even don't even think about the world, because like, again, you're going to feel in over your head. Uh, so get curious about climate change. And maybe that looks like education. So maybe you start, you know, listening to a show like mine or another environmental show. Uh, you could read different books. A really great book that I've enjoyed is called A Citizen's Guide to Climate Success by Mark Jacquard. And that really frames the problem and how we can solve it. And some of the it debunks a lot of the myths. So I would tell you to get curious about climate change. And then the second thing that I've learned is to talk about it. You know, there's so much power in face-to-face conversations. It's not about yelling at someone on Twitter or something. It's, <laughs> it's talking with people about, okay, this is something that impacts me. And it's not necessarily about me always just using a little less water. Because although I think those things are helpful and they're good, not everyone is going to do that. And not everyone can. You know, if you have children, you can't just, we're going to bathe once a week, everyone. Like yeah. <laughs> you have a certain quality of life. And I don't think that you should have to sacrifice that. So talking about it to your friends, your family, and then of course, the, the larger picture, maybe your, your government representatives to say that this is something that matters to me and let's change it. And here's how we can change it. So let, focusing less on that personal responsibility and more on the collective action is something that you can do. Hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, those, if we can focus on a bigger problem, that might, yeah, make the bigger impact, right? And if we can, right, because if I turn off my lights, but my neighbor sure doesn't, then yeah. is it really helping? Yeah, so, and then okay. and then not even, yeah. and people, some people can't, right? Because right. if you're a, a 
truck driver or you work in in the fossil fuel industry or or you just ever, like ever, carbon is is so intertwined into our lives as far as even just shipping something on Amazon or anything mm-hmm. right you just you and i mean me living this way us living this way is still sending a message saying hey this is where my values are and i'm going to walk my talk and i think that's very important i think we should still keep doing those things but i don't think we should be every day beating ourselves up about oh i didn't ride my bike today like well yeah like like you know we've talked about with decluttering like it's it's a process and it takes time and there's these little steps you have to do and and yes you can do all those things but if you don't every day, I mean, yeah, don't, don't beat yourself up about it, but write a letter to, to, to your representative saying, Hey, we need to get to net zero by 2030 or 2050. And it's important to me and my community. And this is what we need to do to get there. That bigger change, the regulations, the getting everyone involved is, is so much bigger than just, just personal responsibility. Right. Interesting. Oh, I love looking at it from that perspective. Cause and still, I think we all still need to do the things yeah. that we can. Like, I sure. don't think that we can skirt our personal responsibilities and say like, oh, well, you know, Nestle's still just taking water and, you know, reselling it. So that's fine. Um, that's a big thing here. Okay. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> right. Having, right. Because they don't pay for the water. Like we pay for sure. the water. They don't pay for the water oh, that they take yeah. and then they resell it to us. So then we're paying three times. Like it's crazy. Sure. Yes, right. Those big things make those big impacts. But then also take a take a shorter shower. I don't need to take a 15 minute shower. I don't take a 15 minute shower. I get ready in like five minutes. But Mm -hmm. like, don't take a long shower. Try to, you know, we're going to try to start running our dishwasher a little bit less. And I don't know, put the gallon jug in the toilet so it doesn't use as much water and all those kinds of things. So yeah, yeah, you can you can absolutely you can make changes to your house and to your life that that are being more environmentally friendly. But I guess I think the big part of the reason that I felt that in over my head feeling, feeling overwhelmed was because then you think about, all right, well, I want to put solar panels on my roof. Mm-hmm. And where, where do those come from? Probably from mm-hmm. China. And then there's, mm-hmm. there's resources that go into that. I want an electric car. Okay. Well, how about all the batteries that the energy that takes to create those batteries and the waste and you just, there's just so much involved. So yeah. although these things are good, I think people sometimes it's misguided. I think if, if I'm saying that correctly, like, yeah, you, you want to make the biggest impact you can. And I, I still think like talking to my guests that personal responsibility just isn't, isn't where it's at. I, I think, yes, you, living your values. Great. But yeah, there's so many things you could be doing, even environmentally, um, even energy efficient light bulbs for say, for example, right? Like right. how, like the resources that go into those. And, and so you're having to like compare and do research on light bulbs and it's like and how much anxiety are you are you causing yourself by stressing about your light bulbs at night and where where you you know with with, with your example with the water right yes like right. You, you there's there's certain things you are out of your control per se you can't necessarily regulate where your water comes from or how your your city deals with water but but that can change and i think that there's that, that collective action problem as well right like how can we work together and and it's, it is a combination of things but I, I i wouldn't put the focus on necessarily every single day trying to to do that and and i think but that being said when i talk about getting curious about climate change and then talking about it with people my two amazing hit t- tips for you um by doing those things like you're you're naturally going to take shorter showers you're naturally going to 
look at, oh um, yeah, maybe, you know, we do want an environmentally friendly washer, a more energy efficient one. So it kind of, it sets you up for success in that way that you're not trying to figure all these things out. What do I need to, how does uh, my food impact my, my, my carbon footprint and how do my kids diapers or whatever, right? Like, right. yeah, just, just get curious and go, okay, well, oh, yeah. yeah, how can I even just start with one little thing, one little area that you want yeah. to maybe try to look into and improve? Yeah, we went through that with the diapers. Sure. Oh, gosh. So we did right. cloth diapers for the first year. Then we traveled when she was a year. Mm -hmm. And we switched then to disposable because obviously <laughs> we were traveling. And so, yeah, but it was, it was, it was anxiety inducing for right. sure. Because you think, okay, I'm going to use cloth and it's going to be great and it's renewable. But then you're using water and sure. all the detergent and all the stuff that then, you know, so they almost offset each other. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Right? That is and crazy. You so you just have to, like, it's so hard to decide what is the lesser of the two evils sometimes. Yeah, right. And then that's, and there's a thousand decisions you have to make every day about that stuff. And that's, and that's, but right. then you go look at like you know, your Nestle example, you look at, yeah. okay, well, the big polluters are actually the ones that are, are making the biggest impact. And we're just letting them do that. And, you know, and, and even, you know, go back to education. So I, in talking with my guests, I found out that in Canada, about 80% of our power is actually made by renewable energy already. Oh. I didn't even know that, right? And so looking at that, it's like, I mean, I live in Alberta and that's one of the places that has, like we're working on it, but there is still quite a bit of coal here. Um, looking at that, like even within the tiny house or, or a regular house, instead of you saying, well, I have to put up solar panels, I have to do geothermal. Like, well, what if your power is already being generated by renewable energy on, on you know, that call it upstream um, right. further down the line? 
maybe you don't have to put that personal investment in. And, and if you really, really want to, it, maybe there are subsidies to do that. So like, it's, it's a, it's a big issue. And I, as much as, yeah, you, you want to, you want to focus on those little things. I, I think that really trips people up and it also puts the responsibility on individuals. Right. And that's not necessarily productive because then you go, well, I have to do all these things and that person's not. And well, you know, in the background, these big companies are, are huge polluters. Let's focus yeah. on them. Let's put the, the problem where it actually lies. And in fixing those problems, that's going to make our lives easier. Because I think for me, I would love to never talk about this again, right? To, to, <laughs> to never like have to, I could just live in a 2000 square foot house and take a shower when I want. And like, I, as much as I enjoy this lifestyle, I enjoy, you know, inspiring other people to, to, to do the same thing. I would love to live in a world where we didn't have to think about this. It just, we right. just made our power by renewable energy and it was clean and there was no pollution. And that's amazing. Like, how do we get there instead of worrying about these little nitpicky things that although they help, they're, they're not the biggest problem. Right. So one thing I do encourage people to do though, is I, I try to encourage people to not rush out and buy new if they have something that works, right? Like I, it's, it's tough because I, when you declutter, I think you go through this process of feeling guilty about all the stuff you have and getting rid of it. And then how do you get rid of it? And can I recycle it? Is it still usable? How, you know, can I give it to somebody else? Does that then create a problem for them? So again, we're doing like this decision anxiety bubble, right? That we're, we were kind of talking about with how I can make my house better. But I do think that if we can live with less, and one of my favorite ways to do that is actually just to buy less in the first place. So you kind of use up what you have. Um, how, how do you feel about that? And um, where else do I want to go with that? I guess let's just start there. How do you feel about that? Or how, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, that's <laughs> definitely a good point. Yeah. Something I did want to talk about in our conversation when you look at downsizing and decluttering is where does that waste go? And, and as much as I say, like, don't focus on the little things, like don't just go just crazy. And, and, and actually that was an example I was thinking of, um, possibly a, a negative, uh, consequence of decluttering and downsizing like when the Marie Kondo craze hit, like everyone yes. was just, just on mass getting rid of stuff and they were giving them to thrift stores. Like, that's great. I'll give it to a thrift store. But then they couldn't deal with, with that volume. So now a lot of good items were going in the trash that didn't really need to, right? And then potentially if someone just on mass got rid of a whole bunch of stuff and then two, three weeks later, they think, oh, actually I need that thing. They went and replaced that thing that they yeah. didn't actually need to replace. So yeah, you definitely, when you're looking at, decluttering and minimalism from an environmental lens, you definitely have to be mindful of how you're getting rid of those things. But, but yeah, I think, and you've you know, probably talked about this with other guests, just going about that, you know, getting rid of things. Yeah. Give it to someone else. Um, if, if that's possible, you know, we have a, a, a policy in our house basically of like um, always buying used first if possible. Mm -hmm. Right. So can I get something that's, that already exists in the world? They don't have to, order it new and that helps in in getting rid of in waste in landfills but also um um our environmental footprint yeah. and then talking <laughs> about buying things like i we have that that buy me once kind of philosophy as well where buying quality actually even though it might cost a bit more to start with um you're actually a saving money and also saving resources and that you're not replacing that thing after a, a year or two that it wears out and it breaks so right. you can definitely 
get rid of things and and declutter your life in a, an environmentally friendly way. Um, and, and it doesn't have to be anxiety inducing and, and overwhelming. Yeah. And I think too, with that education piece that you were talking about, kind of educating yourself to knowing what's going on and, and understanding, um, there have been some really interesting documentaries about, or just kind of, you know, videos about like the cycle, the life cycle of stuff. So I think that's really interesting. I'll link mm. to that if anybody's interested, but I do think that like part of it, like part of me is like, I just get so angry that like one person Bezos has so much money. So I like, I try so hard to not buy something on Amazon and it's gotten somewhat difficult, right? Cause then you have to go around to like different stores. You have to drive to different stores. I mean, you can get stuff online from like target, but then is that much better? Um, you know, you kind of have that problem, but I do think there's one positive here. Amazon has gotten so terrible to shop on because mm -hmm. you never know the quality of the stuff you're going to get. Sure. And like, I've done that, right? I've purchased something where I thought it was good. I've gone through the reviews. I've tried to pay attention to what I'm buying and I get it and it's total crap. <laughs> and so I actually think that's a positive and I'm hoping that more people have that experience and then they just think, oh, I could live without that. I'm, it's awful, right? I don't want to use that. And then maybe they can live without it. I don't know. I'm slightly optimistic that this will trickle through, but I'm not sure it will. No, yeah, no, I've had the, the same experience where I buy something <laughs> online or on, on Amazon specifically. And yeah, it's the quality isn't there. And, and that kind of goes to another element of, of in, at least the environmental side is like buying locally and buying from yes. someone that you know, and something you can see. So that's another big part is, is yeah, like when I order, sometimes I, I read books or, you know, the research for the show, I go to a, a local bookstore. So now I'm, I'm supporting a, 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 the local economy, the community. I'm still yeah. getting the book that I want. I'm not giving it to Jeff Bezos. Yeah. And yeah, it's, that, it's, it's, it's a process. And like you talk about education and, and trying to, yeah, obviously not buy things in the first place. I think part of my transition to downsizing was also about like transitioning to an artist lifestyle and also mm. limiting my, my, I went from a, a well-paying job in post-secondary to, to nothing. And so like, how do I live comfortably on, on less money? And for me, that also kind of tied into the environmental side. So instead of buying a book like, like that, I'm, I'm going to go buy this book because I've got the money you know, or put it on credit, whatever. I would look for, can I find it somewhere else from someone else? Can I find it online for free? Just download it. Like, can, are there other ways that I can do what I want to do without spending money? And so I think that also ties into the, the minimalism and decluttering as well. Like instead of just a gut reaction. And that's of course why Amazon does so well, because they have just like two clicks. I'm just going to buy this thing. Great. It's you, one you, click you, now. It's or one ridiculous. click, is it? You, you, don't, you just think about it. You don't have to click it. You just, just tie it into your brain. And uh, yeah, so like, instead, like, yeah. like I talked about with the water example, like if you can kind of build in those, those barriers to buying something mm -hmm. or, or using a resource, if you have to think about it, if you have to Instead of, let's say, for example, this would be a little more extreme, but if you just sold your car and just said, I'm going to bike everywhere and that's it, like you don't have an option to drive because you're going to choose the driving option. You're going to choose the easiest option. You know, mm -hmm. if it's easy, you can do it. You're going to do it. And so if, if, although it's a little more difficult, if you can kind of build those things into your life, I find that's kind of a bit of a life hack and that you, you make it a bit more difficult. And by the time you're, you're going to do that thing, you've already decided that, Hey, I don't actually need that book at this time. I don't need to buy that thing and, and you're better for it. Yeah. 
And just a little way I do that in my house, like there's, you can do this with lots of things, but one even little way that I do it is I have my, I have a dresser behind me um, in my office and I have my printer in the top drawer. So it's not sitting out, it's tucked away and I can use it when I need it. But I found that by tucking it away, I actually use it a lot less. Like I was sometimes just being like, oh, I can just print that off because then I can make my notes on it and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, now I'm using less paper. I'm using less ink. It, it has just a slight little bit of discomfort. Like just it takes me 20 seconds to pull it out of the drawer. The yeah. plug's right there. I plug it in. I take my laptop. I plug it right in. It's not difficult. And yet even just those little things, you know, just a little discomfort really can kind of make that. Um, just kind of stop you from doing that knee-jerk reaction, like we were saying. So you're lazy. People are lazy, and totally, that's totally <laughs> that's a good we thing. We are, we are, we are. <laughs> and I try not to get down on myself for being that way. <laughs> no, it's good though. It's the, the build it into the day. It's like I know I'm lazy, so yes, make work that work it, for right? you. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. One thing I definitely want to ask you before we go, and I don't know that I have prepped you for this one, so sorry, but. What was your decluttering process like? I don't know what your life was like before you decided to move tiny. Obviously, it took you four years to finish your house, so you had kind of time to prepare. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm one of those people, though, that if I have a deadline, I'm a procrastinator. I totally am, and I will wait until the last minute to do it anyway. So um, I don't know. What was your process like, and how was it? You said you were living in 800 square feet, so obviously mm -hmm. you were already kind of small, but you went to 25% of your square footage. So yeah. Talk us through it. Yeah, no, you're right. And because it took four years, that made the transition a little bit easier. It wasn't like one one day to the next, like, oh, I'm living in a tiny house now. Oh, shoot. Like it was it was a, a slow transition. So part of that was at that time when I was building, not accumulating more things because I knew that, okay, we are downsizing. I know that's coming. I'm not going to buy that big screen TV. So kind of that helped with the transition. And then really, I think the biggest thing was actually moving on to the farm where we live and we moved we, with all our stuff essentially we didn't put everything in the house to start so we just moved with the house empty and then we started filling it up and kind of seeing what fit and what didn't and and that really helped in the the, the decluttering process that we went through it and said you know what like like i said the monstera we knew wouldn't fit but other things we just what yeah what fits and what doesn't and what do we need and what don't we need so it was a bit of it was a bit pragmatic for sure kind of maybe even before the move, as, you know, as with any move, I'm sure you know that mm -hmm. you eventually just start throwing stuff like, I don't need that. I don't want to pack that. It's another thing to, to move. So we probably got rid of a few things there. But once we actually moved into the house, that was when we really realized how much space we had and, and how we could work with that. So I think if we had to, when we move again, if we do, it'll probably be a lot easier move because everything's in the house. We can kind of just pick it up and go. And I mean, that being said, we live on a farm and, and there is some extra space. We do have a few other things in a, another house on, on the property. So even though we are downsizing, we do have a few other things. Like we don't live with every single item. We don't have a hundred items in our life or something. And I think that's also, you know, going back to that personal responsibility, mm -hmm. especially, you know, being in Canada, we have four seasons. We've got lots of winter. We've got summer. We like to bike and we like to ski and we like to hike. And how do you fit all those activities into your, your, your small space, right? So prioritizing those, but also being realistic that, you know, sometimes you can't fit everything in your tiny house and, and that's okay. Oh, I appreciate the reality there. I appreciate the realism that, yeah, you don't often see that kind of behind the scenes. And that was one of my questions. Like we have taken on new hobbies. We moved sure. to San Diego a couple of years ago. We've taken on new hobbies. We have a surfboard now and we have paddle boards and 
Um, we sold our snowboarding equipment, but we'd love to buy that again. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of those, those things of, yeah, how do you, how do you deal with that kind of stuff and knowing that you only have a certain amount, but yeah, being real about it and being like, okay, well, this is the stuff I love and I'm just gonna, I can store it in the off mm-hmm. season and I can get it when we need it and you can swap that stuff out. Yeah. Um, so oh, I appreciate the, the realness there. Because I think yeah. sometimes people try to say, but it's perfect. I have a hundred items and yeah, it's great. Right? Yeah. And you're like, um, I just meditate like, all day and I'm yeah. fine. Yeah. Like, and yeah. Even yeah. And then I think travel. like you, oh, you, yeah. you know, we talked about buying quality too, right? Like if you're buying things at last, mm-hmm. um, you're gonna, more likely to keep those things and take care of them. And, you know, our, our outdoor equipment is a good example that we've invested quite a bit into that. So right. we're going to take care of it. We're going to, to keep it. Um, but talking about some of your outdoor gear, it's not always available in every place you live, but sometimes there are like sharing economy type things where you mm. can rent certain things. If you, you know, that's, that's another thing is like, instead of right. buying that, that paddle board that I want to try, like maybe rent it, try it out. Maybe you like it. And if you like it enough to do it a lot, then purchase it. So are there ways that. that you can, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> are there ways that you can, you know, rent things, even tools, things like that, try oh, them sure. out, you know, just instead of assuming that default, I have to buy this thing. Now you're, again, limiting your environmental footprint because you're not buying a new thing. Right. You're making use of something else and, and potentially stimulating the economy. So there's, there's all sorts of things you can do in that realm as well. That's true. Okay. Well, next time I go snowboarding and I rent from Blowers, I'll think, hey, I'm just there helping the company. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> stimulating the economy. <laughs> there we go. Uh, don't mind the extra hour it takes to get the stuff in return. <laughs> <laughs> but again, right? Slight inconvenience may sure. be worth it. And yeah. I was going to say back... Um, to kind of that realism point. Like when we traveled, right? We traveled with carry-on suitcases, but that is just part of it, right? Like I rented an Airbnb that sure. was fully furnished, that had yeah. a furnished kitchen, that had everything that we needed there, it had all the linens, had all the stuff. So it wasn't like I can just live, you know, I'm not pitching a tent everywhere I go. So those are kinds of the things though I think that People can get wrapped up in the persona that they see from people on social media. And I just, it's one thing I don't want people to feel bad about themselves or compare themselves and feel like they're not measuring up or not doing good enough um, because there's always a little bit of story. So that's why I was yeah, really no, happy sure. about the, the realness there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, I think a good term I've heard is like the purity test. Like if you're not a hundred percent, like. I still drive a car. I still, you know, like I'm, I live in a tiny house, but I, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't have like a zero, like just, if you want to, uh, to lower your environmental footprint the most, you just, you just kill yourself basically. (laughs) Then you you have zero footprints. Like you just, we we have to live, you have to live your life a little bit and then be conscious about it. But I think being real about it also gets more people on board because people who just can't or don't want to change, they, you know, they don't have to beat themselves up. They don't have to live in a tiny house. They can still do their part and, and not sacrifice as much. And, and, if, and if people want to travel or live in a tiny house, great. What, like, what does that look like for you? It doesn't have to look like what my life looks like. And that's okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, so good. Well, Michael, I know people are going to want to follow up. I know they're going to listen to your podcast. And so where can people find you? Yeah, if you go to www.inovermyheadpodcast.com, that's where the show lives. And you can get it also on all the various podcast sites. Um, but I don't use social media, and that's maybe another conversation. But I intentionally 
chose not to do that. So you cannot find me on social media, sorry, but you can send me an email and I will Love probably it. respond because it's a real person. So send me an email, info at inovermyheadpodcast.com. But yeah, listen to the show and that'd be great if you can learn something. Absolutely. Okay. And then my favorite way to end every interview is with three rapid fire questions. So the first one is what does minimalism mean to you? Yeah. So minimalism to me, I think talking about housing, it's about making room, you know, sure that could be having fewer physical objects, but that also extends to your time and your mental space. So making room for the people and the projects that fill your heart with joy, making room in your mind for being in the moment, not being distracted. So that's, that's what minimalism means to me. Hmm, that's a good one. I haven't heard that one on the, on mic from my guests. I like that. Um, what is one of your favorite pieces of advice that you'd like to share today? Yeah, I was, I was thinking about this one and, um, I think just like for me and my project in the tiny house and environmentalism, like, like we kind of talked about not beating yourself up and, and not like putting the work in, like, if, I think people really underestimate how much work certain things like the house required you know four years thousands of hours making a podcast as, as you know lots of work so when you're looking at any sort of decluttering downsizing any renovation project anything like it's going to take so much more work than you think it will and and to be prepared for that so set yourself up for success by saying yeah it's going to take twice as long so I'm, I'm prepared for that and by doing that and sticking with it um, you'll you'll be better off was good my one. thought. That's what I came up with. That's a good one. Hey, <laughs> it's only one of your favorites. It doesn't have to be the best piece or, oh. you know, your favorite. It's it was a tricky question. It's, it's a big I know. One. Sorry. I do kind of do that sometimes. <laughs> and then what is making you happy right now or in this season of your life? Yeah, I think uh, so. I sh we moved to the tiny house um, last spring. So it's been almost a year and shifting there, moving on to the farm. Um, so we live on a farm in Southern Alberta and the owners are in their 80s and they're still farming. And to me, that's just so inspirational. So meeting them and seeing that you can be in your 80s and, and still be doing something you love, I think is so inspirational and, and building that community. So I do kind of odd jobs to pay for the spot on the, on the farm. And it's just been such a rewarding experience. We love it here. And, and we love that little family that we've built here. Oh, so good. Well, that is a great way to end it. So thank you so much for joining me on the Wannabe Minimalist Show. Have a great yeah, day. Thanks for having me, Deanna. Absolutely. Cheers. Wow, I just loved this episode and I had so much fun talking with Michael. It was just as much fun when I listened to it the second time while I was editing it as it was the first time in the conversation. I love how he opened my eyes to the idea that while we should, of course, live our values, and that might include being good stewards of the environment if that's important to us, the most positive change we can advocate for is making big policy changes, because the biggest polluters are not individuals, but large corporations. So if this was eye-opening to you too, I hope he has inspired you to get curious and contact your local representatives to see what changes can be made. You can find the link to Michael's website and podcast in over my head in the show notes or on my website at wannabeclutterfree.com slash 95. Again, that's wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 95. And that just about wraps it up for today's episode. But before I go, I do want to take a minute to thank you for listening to this podcast. If you liked this episode or found any episode helpful, please consider leaving me a review on Apple podcast. It makes my day and it helps me so much. I hope you have a fabulous day and I will see you again here next week. I'm Deanna Yates and this is the Wannabe Minimalist Show. Cheers. 
Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 